Well, good afternoon and thank you once again for joining me for Business, The Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip. This one is uh, get your employees on board with new technology. Also going to cross over later to Christina and have a chat with her about some of the things that came out of the Innovation Conference, particularly the subject of unlearning. But right now we're going to pop over to uh, Joe Sedados from Foundry Intellectual Property. Have a look at protecting your intellectual property. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for joining us and stepping into the last minute today. Um, so... Uh, the uh, important questions, I first of all, first of all, is uh, what is intellectual property and why is it important for business? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, look, I think the easiest way to explain it, or the simplest way to explain it, is to think of intellectual property rights as a set of laws that the government has set up to allow businesses and individuals to obtain some sort of legal protection over the products and services they develop uh, so that they can you know, slow down or stop copycats. I mean, businesses invest a lot of money in developing new products, new services, um, and new offerings generally. And so it makes sense that they be given some incentive to do that. And so what the law, intellectual property laws provide you with basically is the ability to get some type of protection or legal enforcement around anything new that you've created that is useful in your business. Um, and IP, or you know, I say IP, you know, I tend to abbreviate intellectual property, but IP rights you know, can protect all sorts of different aspects of what you develop. I mean, normally people think about things like patents, which are around protecting technology, but you can also protect designs, you can also protect creative works, and you can even indirectly protect the goodwill you've built up in your business. So I think it's quite important for businesses to be thinking about how they can use intellectual property law to get some sort of advantage in the marketplace. Let's think of one business as, let's say, uh, all I do is to import and make products to sell in the local market. Would I need to worry about intellectual property? Um, I think that's that's a question I actually get fairly often, and I think that uh, you know, I've I've dealt with a lot of businesses, um, you know, up and down the up and down the coast, and a lot of smaller businesses seem to think that because they're only operating in a local market, things like intellectual property laws don't really affect them. There's a general view sometimes that intellectual property laws are only for big businesses, multinational corporations, you know, that are operating in other countries, etc. But I think as markets have become much more international and we as, as Australians are a country that tends to import a lot of products. Um, intellectual property laws affect you even if you aren't part of the system and the reason is that overseas companies file a lot of patents, a lot of trademarks and you can actually fall foul of other people's rights. So sometimes people quite innocently import products into Australia or perhaps are manufacturing a product locally and they don't realise there are patents or trademarks out there uh, that are owned by other companies and it's not until they actually receive a nasty letter from someone else that they become enmeshed in in intellectual property laws and sometimes once you've already invested a lot of money into bringing a product into the marketplace or marketing it you know it can be quite galling to mm. have to pull that product from the market so I think that companies irrespective of whether they think they're innovating in and of themselves they should always think about 
who else is in the marketplace and whether they may fall foul of somebody else's rights. And so that just requires a little bit of upfront investigative work to make sure that you're not investing money in something that ultimately you might have to pull from the market. Well, I mean, people think that uh, patents are very complex and expensive. And, you know, as you just said, for people think it's for the larger, bigger businesses. Um, why would a smaller business want a patent? That, again, this is a this is a, a good question, and I think that yeah, Australia. And look, I, I say this as somebody who also ran a small business for a number of years. I think that as a small business, you sometimes have to be very careful about where you put your money, and you have to prioritise things. And so, there's a feeling that patents and other types of intellectual property protection are expensive, complex, and you know not as crucial perhaps as some other aspects of running a business. But I think, again, that particularly over the last 10 or 15 years, I've seen in my practice uh, more and more small businesses um, are finding that they're either having their ideas stolen from them. In other words, mm. other bigger players are coming into the market and taking taking their ideas, and they obviously have no recourse if they haven't sought any protection. But uh, the other flip side is what I alluded to earlier, and that is that people are developing products and quite innocently are marketing those products and then realising that somebody else, say an overseas company, has a patent to a very similar product and, and, will, and that overseas company will effectively be able to push them out of the marketplace. Mm. So I think that small, small businesses have to be at least alive to the idea of looking at their intellectual property rights. And... Patents can be complex, but they can also be fairly straightforward if you are only looking at limited markets. So if you're only looking at getting some protection in Australia, it can be a fairly simple and straightforward process, and it's also a staged process. So it means you don't have to spend a lot of money up front. You can, you can delay some costs, and you can spread out the amount of time it takes to get some rights. So if, for example, you decide to drop a product and you no longer need protection for it, you're not locked into paying a lot of money over a number of years to have those sorts of rights. So I think that it, it's worth going and talking to a, a patent attorney or your solicitor or somebody about IP and about intellectual property rights, um, because yeah, at least then you have the you have the information, you can make a decision on whether it's worth going ahead or not. So, I mean, there are countries out there like China that uh, are notorious copiers and will copy my product even if I've got a patent. So is it really worth getting a patent if, with that sort of thing going on? Look, it's, again, it's, it's, one of those, um, it's one of those questions that a few years ago, I, I think there would have been some credence to that question because I know that a lot of businesses I've worked for have had a lot of frustrations with Chinese copycats. But interestingly, China has changed quite a lot in the last 10 years. Mm. Um, and one of the interesting things is China has become quite savvy around intellectual property and it actually is trying to change its attitude, both internally and, and how it deals with the world, to actually make it an IP-generating country. And what I mean by that is that they want to now... You know, they, they've seen how other companies can quite 
aggressively defend their, um, let's call it their territory with patents. And so they're trying to do the same thing. And I think mm. one of the things that we in Australia perhaps aren't as aware of is the fact that China is actually filing a lot of patents in Australia and, and also in other countries. And so the irony might be that it might be the actual, it might actually be the Chinese in asserting their intellectual property rights against Australian companies and not the other way around. And so I think that being aware of that and seeing who is filing patents in Australia and then understanding where you stand as an Australian company relative to that at least gives you some knowledge which allows you to plan and therefore and also if you have some of your own patents if you are developing your own technology then you have some potential leverage mm. so I think it's quite important that Australian companies be aware of the fact that intellectual property is becoming a very large worldwide issue and China in particular who are one of our biggest trading partners are very alive to patents and are no longer just copycats but are actually wanting to not only dominate the market in terms of selling product into Australia but they also want to dominate the intellectual property market which is you know a whole new level of um, of, of concern I think for Australian companies what about software is that is that patentable uh, look, it, software is patentable. Um, there's been a lot of uh, a lot that's happened in the law around software patents. A few years ago, software patents were fairly easy to obtain, and then there were a few uh, Australian judgments um, in the in the Australian Federal Court that knocked out a few software patents. And so there was a lot of misinformation that was spread about whether software was patentable. Uh, and I think that this is a very important question for Australian companies because we as a nation are actually quite good at developing software and a lot mm. of Australian companies uh, are at the forefront of a lot of areas of software. So I think it's important for Australians to be aware that just because you're developing software, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you can't get a patent. It just means that you have to be more careful about um, what is actually patented. So the, the sorts of software that, that is considered patentable now is much narrower, let's say, than what you could get before, but that's not to say it's not worthwhile still going ahead and getting some protection because I think that at two levels, firstly, we as Australians do develop a lot of software that we sell into the world market, and secondly, software is becoming very, very let's say, integrated into all sorts of hardware devices. So the, the future in many ways is more around the innovation is really occurring around software and not so much around hardware anymore. There is obviously innovation around hardware, but really the smarts are now more built into the software. So we should be looking at getting some protection around software. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time, Joe. No, not at all. And we'll have a chat with you again another time. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Joe Sestanos from Foundry Intellectual Property there. Yes, it's important to make sure we're protecting our intellectual property. Time to pop over to Christina for our chat on innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you this week? I'm very well. And we're going to talk a couple of those points that came from the Innovation Festival. Unlearning. Unlearning. Unlearning, yeah. So um, one of the... And it's actually been a, a, a topic that's 
popped in at a few of the conferences um, and things that I've been to lately. So um, first first came across the term oh, quite some time ago, but actually first heard a, a full-on talk about it at the Singularity University um, leadership program that I went to at the end of last year, and then again at the Front End Innovation Conference in Boston this year. So the whole concept about unlearning, we know that it's important to keep learning things, but sometimes in order to actually adopt and take things on um, so that they become part of our daily experiences, we have to unlearn in a beha- unlearn a behaviour first. Mm. So, you know, we need to unlearn in order to relearn, if you like. And there's a really good um, case study around this from 1847, actually. So mm. there was a, a doctor, Ignaz, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, but Semmelweis, uh, who proposed that doctors wash their hands to reduce the mortality rate in maternity wards. And it was considered to be very demanding um, to unlearn the behaviour of not washing your hands. Mm. And it wasn't until years after... He, so he had no scientific evidence to, to back um, his theory up, but he just, you know, he tried to get people to, to do this um, in order to save lives and couldn't. And it wasn't until years after his death that they accepted his theory, and they, the the common phrase is that had the doctors been un, had been willing to unlearn their current schema, so the way that they were already thinking um, that everything had to be proven in order to be true, how many lives might they have might have been saved? So it's mm. that whole if you if you don't let go of what you know mm. and you wait until something is backed up with scientific evidence, and we know you know science is awesome and it brings us so much evidence-based um, learning, but we also know that intrinsically some things are true and we need to be able to unlearn some of our expectations in order to take on new behaviours. And so a, lot of, a lot of time those, uh, those feelings or those thoughts are not necessarily true, they're just our beliefs. True, absolutely true. So just that if people can actually go, why am I holding on to this? So if it's a question that we ask ourselves, am I holding this because... Um, I fear change, which is a lot of the reason why we're not prepared to learn new things because we fear the change that comes with new learnings. Uh, or is there another reason? But there's always that, you know, experimentation, research, know what's going on, try things. We do things by trial and error, and there's so many things, as we know, that are coming through um, the research now that we intrinsically know to be true, but we wait too long until they're proven to be true. Mm. Uh, so that that was one of the concepts. The other concept that I thought... Um, can can actually, we do the other one quickly, or will we leave it till next week? Got about a minute. Oh, have we? Okay, so I thought products with purpose will be yeah. really quick. Um from anything from lingerie offerings, there's a, a company doing femininity um, and dignity in lingerie because one in three women have incontinence from childbirth, from whatever other conditions. Um, so there's a, a product that was purposely developed for that. And also the Gillette, Gillette tray have got a razor that to use um, on elderly men by caregivers who can't shave themselves. So it's actually purpose-built from user experience. Mm. So fo- focusing with a, a need in mind. Yeah, focus with an eddy mind, but absolute purpose for the yeah, product. Great. Well, thanks very much for your time. We'll have a chat again next week. We will. I look forward to it. Bye, Thank Julian. Bye bye. Christina, there, with particularly that unlearning, we often do get trapped into the things we think we know, which are. Not always the case. Got time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one is to get your employees on board with new technologies. 
Bringing new technology and tools into your organisation can increase productivity, boost sales and help you make better, faster decisions. But getting everyone everyone on board is often a challenge. So first, you need to state your case. You want to put forth a compelling vision for what the technology is and what it's going to do. Then you need to help employees understand what's in it for them. Will the new system help salespeople meet their quotas faster? Will it increase productivity and reduce weekend work? The best argument to new technology is that it will make your life better. After pointing out the benefits, you can focus on training employees. You want to customise training. Some might prefer an online online training session, while others will need more individual support and lead by example. Show that you're investing time in learning the new system and empathise with your team about the challenges you're all facing. We all know that uh, trying to get change into places sometimes is a challenge and I think often we bring in new technologies without uh, giving the necessary training and uh, then wonder why it doesn't come in or work as well as we thought. So some good little tips there for us, isn't there? Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, protecting your intellectual property and uh, as uh, uh, Joe pointed out to us, it is important to consider patents and trademarks, even if you're a very small business, you're uh, protecting what you own, even if it's just so that you can use it yourself without other people challenging you. And we've looked at that uh, powerful tool of unlearning, not getting stuck in the way we've always done things. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to look at why family businesses are different from other businesses with Wendy Foster from Family Business Australia. We'll have a chat about innovation and have some more of those tips from Christina and some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, The Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Socrates once said, the secret of change is to focus all your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new.